Hope you will join us there in Ephesians chapter 3. We'll get there in just a few minutes. <clears throat> I'm glad that we've got the opportunity to worship together, to be able to study together <clears throat> and think about this theme that we have chosen for the year. Love God and love people change the world. I don't know what that kind of theme means to you. I hope it doesn't become just a cliche that eventually you just don't even really think about it. I hope it'll be something that we can keep highlighting in a way that makes it real and fresh and can cause us to think about some things daily and weekly that'll help us fulfill our calling to be who God called us to be. <clears throat> Next weekend, and Jimmy will say more about this in a minute, uh, Dale Jenkins is going to be with us and he's going to be talking about some things that are relevant to this idea, this theme. Dale is, he preaches at the Spring Meadows congregation in Spring Hill, Tennessee, been there about 10 years. His father was... Jerry Jenkins, a longtime minister at the Roebuck Parkway congregation. Dale's one of my favorite preachers and favorite people. And I think you'll be blessed if you'll come and plan to be a part of that weekend, next Friday and Saturday nights at 7, and then Sunday at 9, 10, and 1. So uh, I hope you're planning to come back next weekend. You guys remember what uh, cliff notes are? Yeah, cliff notes and all the English teachers are got frowns on their faces. I'm not saying they're good. I'm just saying they're sometimes necessary. <clears throat> no, I shouldn't say that either. Cliff notes, and, and this is back, back in my day, okay? Back in my day. <clears throat> we didn't have the internet. You couldn't look up the chapter summaries online the night before the papers do. You know, you couldn't do that. <clears throat> you had to plan in advance and go to the bookstore and actually buy, or go to the library if your library had copies of them, the copies of the Cliff Notes, which were the summaries of the chapters and the important themes and all that stuff. Not a good practice, not a good practice at all, uh, because it, in most cases it presupposes that you didn't actually do the reading of Huck Finn, you know, because you got to the last week when it was due and you realized that Huck Finn is actually about 18,000 pages and it's going to take more than 35 minutes to get it done. <clears throat> so cliff notes, they're not marketed to be a way of cheating, a way of getting past reading. They're designed to help you to see the themes. And they were actually, I'd be, uh, there were actually times where I did read the book, and then I read cliff notes after I read the book to see if I was getting the right theme. So there's a way that you can do it, and maybe it wouldn't be so bad. But the idea, the whole, the whole theme there is to take some, you know, some big body of literature and to kind of distill it into some different themes or maybe some, you know, some chapter summaries and this is what he was getting at and here's some of the symbolism you should have noticed but didn't, you know, and all this stuff. <clears throat> That's what the cliff notes or spark notes or whatever is supposed to be. And I think, in a way, that's what we've got in Matthew 22. I think some of these people, they were like, Man, the Old Testament is long, and <laughs> some of it's boring. You got all these laws, law after law after law, and thou shalt, and thou shalt not, and do this, and you got all these names, name after name after name, genealogies, you know, for days, and all this stuff, and, and, and Leviticus, I mean, have you read how many laws, and how many sacrifices, and how many things you can do, and can't do, and how you build a tabernacle, and how you move it from place to place, and 
how you handle this kind of skin ailment that you got going on and, and you're having this little symptom over here and what are you supposed to do when this happens and what about all the sexuality laws and all the dietary laws and all the clothing laws and, and, um, and maybe it's something like that. These, some of these guys in Jesus' day, they were like, Lord, can you give us the cliff notes? Can you just kind of sum it up for us? Can you, can you take everything that's there, all, all, all the 39 books? I, I think the way they regarded it, they had t actually 22 books. We'd, we'd say 39. 22 books in the Old Testament. All the materials there and, and all this stuff. And they came to Jesus and said, Master, what's the great commandment of the law? What there, was, there was a common debate going on in his day, in the Lord's day. But, but what they were saying was, it's a big book. It's a big book. Lots of stuff. Better do this, better not do that. But, man, we can't remember it all. And even if we could remember it all, what if we're remembering the wrong stuff? What if we're not getting it in the right order? What if we are, are making some things important when they're not and some things not important when they ought to be important? This is an ongoing debate among the Jewish religious leaders of the day is how do you sum it up? What, what's, what's, the, you know, what's the cliff notes of this? What's the, what's the, you boil it down, you get all the extraneous stuff out of it, and what do you have left? What is it? Master, which is the great commandment in the law. <clears throat> and Jesus says, you remember what he says? You probably do. He's taking a pretty big book. And he says, okay, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This is the great and first commandment. This is, this is it. All of it. And by the way, Jesus isn't saying part of that doesn't matter. Part of it's unimportant. You can just forget about a lot of it. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I want to talk about all of it and I want to put it under... For now, I want to put it under one little heading here that kind of summarizes the whole deal. And he says, this is the first and great commandment. Love God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. This is the great and first commandment. This is it. This is, this is it. This is the main thing. This is how you sum it all up, right? Doesn't stop there, though. And by the way, he's quoting from Deuteronomy 6 when he says that. He's not just coming up with this new law on his own. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6 that was presented by, by Moses, from God to Moses back a long, long time before to a generation of people who needed to know, hey, this is what it's all about. Love God with all your Hero is the Lord our God is one. The Lord our God is one God. And you shall love him with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. This is the great and first commandment. And in Deuteronomy 6, he says, you shall teach this to your children when you get up, when you lie down, when you walk by the way, when you sit in your house, you'll put it... You'll put it on your forehead. You'll bind it as frontless between your eyes. You'll create these phylacteries on your arms. <coughs> so you'll never forget. So that you don't ever forget what it's all about. It's all about this. When you get bogged down in the details and you're trying to remember which sacrifice and what sacrifice and which dietary law and which clothing law and how to treat the tabernacle and how to handle this and that, when you get bogged down in all the details, let this be some sort of unifying factor it relates in some way to the fact that God has called you to love Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is likened to it. You, quoting Deuter Leviticus 19, 18, Jesus says, And love your neighbor as yourself. Now, these two commandments hang on the law of the prophets. Love your neighbor as yourself. The cliff notes. 
Jesus, as you know, didn't believe any of it was unimportant. He's not saying you can just forget about most of it. These are the only two things. The only two things going to be on the test. All right, I want to see these two things in your paper. It doesn't matter about, about the rest of it. He's not saying that. He's saying all of that, you, you hear his language, all of that can be hung on those two pegs. Sacrifices, you've got to hang that on a peg. Love your father and mother, you've got to hang that up here. Don't covet your neighbor's stuff, you've got to hang that up here. Keep this feast, you've got to hang that up here. You see, he's saying on these two commandments, on these two principles, hang all the law and the prophets. It's all about that. It's all about that. This year, we're talking about what kind of people do we want to be. And I'm suggesting to you that we want to be the kind of people who get the main things right. And the main things are <coughs> love God with all of your heart, soul, and might, and love the people He created. And when we do that, God will use us. It's not because we're good. It's not because we're going to be good at this. But it's because God is good and He works through His people who love Him and love His people to change the world. And so every organization, every institution, those seem so impersonal, every family, every church, every group of people put here who exist here for some specific reason has to go back again and again and again and again and say, why are we here? Because if we don't do that, we'll get into motions, we'll do the same things we've always done, and we'll go about them the same way. Not that there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but there can be something wrong with it if we forget why we're doing it, and it's not accomplishing what we originally intent intended for it to accomplish when we started it. And thus, churches get into ruts, don't change anything, don't, um, don't have the ability to, to adapt our methods in order to reach a new generation, and we become complacent. <coughs> so we have to ask, who are we? Who are we, and why are we here? We started back in the 1960s. We built this in 1986. We made some renovations, some significant renovations over the years, some pretty significant ones in the last few years with the educational wing, and then with our junior high and senior high classes. We've revamped, revamped some of our classes, not only our kids' classes, but our adult classes lately. And, but, but it's a question we need to ask. Who are we? You know, why are we here? Why are we at 3248 Lorna Road in Hoover? What would happen? I think it was David Shannon. Um, if you remember David Shannon, he preached a gospel meeting here. And this has been six, seven years ago. He's now the president of Free Hardham. <coughs> we met with David privately while he was here because David had done such a good job there at the Mount Juliet Church in Tennessee. He and uh, other folks there had done such a good job in helping that church to grow and to expand and to be more effective in his community. And one of the things he told us then was he said they as a church leadership, he and the other ministers and the elders and deacons sat down one day and they had one question that guided their discussion. One question. And that question was, <clears throat> what would our community miss if tomorrow we cease to exist? Pretty powerful question. What would our community, like <clears throat> this area, if, if the Hoover Church of Christ ceased to exist, like tomorrow morning people got up and they drove by 3248 Lorna Road, and on this hill there's nothing. <clears throat> what would people around here miss about us? What would they miss? <clears throat> he said that kind of changed the way they did ministry. 
change the way they did what they were doing because they didn't necessarily like the answer to that question at that particular time. What would the community miss if we simply ceased to exist? Because <clears throat> we don't exist here to serve us. We don't exist here to make us happy and comfortable and complacent. We exist here, if I understand the Bible right, we exist here to be a light and to be an entity that radiates out that makes its presence known in positive and good ways in communities, that makes a difference in people's lives. That's what Jesus did. I'm getting ahead of myself here. We'll, we'll come back to that in just a second. But we need to ask these questions. Who are we and why are we here? Before we come back to, we'll eventually make our way back to Ephesians 3, but I'd like for you to turn to Revelation 2 and 3. And if you don't turn there, just listen to this. But I'd love for you to see it in your own Bible. This is interesting. While you're turning there, on uh, some discussion, some preacher discussion list that I'm on, somebody, was, somebody brought up a question about a theme for a congregation where he preaches for the year. And, somebody, and people were throwing out different ideas and trying to be helpful. But, but one person said, you need to recognize that choosing a theme doesn't change the church that you already are. Your church already has a theme, he said. Your church already has a mantra. It may not be written down. It may not be on a banner on the back of the wall, but it has a theme. And that theme is whatever it, that church is, whatever its priorities are, whatever it's already doing, its attitude, its, its, um, you know, its way of doing ministry, the things that it's involved in. And it was a helpful point because I think he, he was trying to communicate this idea. Hey, choose and love God, love people, change the world. It's not going to change anything. Now, it could, done properly, help us to submit to the leadership of God in becoming more of that kind of church. But we are what we are at this particular moment, theme or not. And so I think it's important at the beginning, beginning of this for us to ask the question. All right, if there were a mantra, if there were a theme, forget that one for a minute. <coughs> if there were a theme that described the Hoover Church of Christ, don't say this out loud, but say it to yourself. Try to come up with one. If there were a theme that accurately described who we are at this particular moment, at the beginning of 2018, what would that theme be? Not what we want us to be, but what we are. What would it be? Think about that. Pray about that. What would it be? That's a pretty... Would, would include some, some serious soul searching. You know, who, who are we? Who are we? Other than the Hoover Church of Christ, who are we? What are we doing? Some questions that would be good to ask about that would be, how do we spend our money? You look at our budget, how do we spend our money? What turf do we protect? What makes us nervous when certain things change? What do we get angry about? What makes us afraid? When do we feel our, ourselves being threatened? You see, when we ask some of these questions, it helps us to identify as a church what's important to us. What is our turf? What do we put up our fences? And, and say, I'm not, that cannot be touched. You cannot mess with that thing, that belief, that practice, that schedule, whatever it is. What, what, what is that thing that we protect? If somebody were to ask you, <clears throat> Somebody were to ask you, what is, and you've been asked this before, 
told somebody, yeah, I'm a member of the Hoover Church of Christ. Why don't you come visit us sometime? And they say, hey, I might do that. What's your church like? How do you answer that question? What's your church like? Where you go in your answer, it may not be accurate, but it's accurate to the extent that at least it expresses what you think the church is like. What is your church like? Where do you go? Where does your mind go in that next statement? You're trying to sum it up to somebody who doesn't know this congregation from any other congregation, and your, and your answer is what? Fill in the blank. What is your church like? You're talking to somebody out here who's, um, who is uh, not a follower of Jesus, and um, he or she asks you, what is your church like? What about another, uh, another member of a church, a member of a, a church of Christ across town or a church of Christ in another town? They say, what is the Uber church of Christ like? What would you say to that? Your answer would probably be a little bit different than it is to one who doesn't uh, know Christ, perhaps. What if we ask the community, people within half mile of our building, who presumably know that we're here, they've walked by, driven by here dozens of times, hundreds of times perhaps, and we ask them, there's a Hoover Church of Christ right there on the corner. You know the one, the one that sits on the hill? Yeah, I know that church. What do you know about that church? What would they say? What is that church like? What, what do you think of when you think of that church, that sits on the hill there, Hoover Church of Christ? What's that church like? <coughs> You see, there's, there are questions we ask. And if we don't ask those questions and we don't answer those questions honestly and trying our best to put away, you know, things like, oh, well, I wish we were that and I'd like to be this, but actually what we are, who we are, what our priorities are, what we spend our time doing, what, what turf we protect, what makes us nervous, what makes us afraid or scared or angry. And what do we think about ourselves? What do other people think about us? You see, we're, we're coming at it from different angles, but hopefully getting closer to some kind of core answer that's consistent with reality. This is the kind of church that we are. You know, God, God already knows this. Revelation 2 and 3, I asked you to turn there a moment ago. It's fascinating. These are seven letters that Jesus wrote to the churches in Asia, seven different churches. And nearly every one of them, at the very beginning of it, he says something like this. Revelation 2, 2. I know your works. <clears throat> I know your, you know what he's saying? I know what kind of church you are. I know what your theme is. Because that's what you do. You do what you are. You do what's important to you. I know your works, Revelation 2, 2. Revelation 2, 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty. Revelation 2, 12. I know where you dwell. Revelation 2, 13. I know where you dwell. Revelation 2, 18, I know your works. Revelation 3 and uh, verse 2, I know your works. Revelation 3 and verse 8, I know your works. Revelation 3 and verse 15, I know your works. And I think Jesus, I know Jesus from his vantage point even now, looks at our congregation and every congregation and he says <clears throat> to the angel of the church at 3248 Lorna Road, I know your works. I know what you're doing. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you love to know what he would say after that? That would be so enlightening. For him to say, I, I, to, to the angel of the church, Hoover, Alabama, I know your works 
and I. Who are we? Who are we? What are our priorities? What are we doing? Why are we doing it? Why are we here? Why are we doing ministry? Why do we open our doors? Why do we keep our doors open? Why do we maintain a budget and a staff? <coughs> Congregations have to ask these questions and they have to be honest with the answers that they give. I know your works. I know your works, he says. Who should we be? Spent a lot of time talking about who we are. And really, I haven't answered that, you know. Notice that. I haven't answered that. I've got my own thoughts. You've got your thoughts. Maybe there's some truth as some of our thoughts kind of overlap about who we are. That's where we must start by looking at who we are. Why are we here? What are we doing? Who, who should we be? <clears throat> and man, you, you probably get different answers to that question. Who should we be? What's most important? But I believe, don't you think the answer to this has to go back to, has to go back to Jesus in some way? It has to go back to, to following Jesus because Jesus spent his life doing ministry, teaching, preaching, sharing the gospel. Ultimately, he gave his life on the cross. He was resurrected the third day. He spent a few days with the disciples. He ascended to heaven. But he said, before he ascended to heaven, he said, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who doesn't believe will be condemned. He says, I want you to go do ministry. I want you to evangelize. And then if you read in the following pages, he establishes by his spirit the church, a called out group of people to carry on his ministry. So what we're doing in the church is we go back to the life of Jesus and we walk with him and we listen to him and we hear his teaching. We see his miracles. We see how he spent his time. We see the attitudes he displayed, his love, compassion, mercy, the way he responded to hypocrisy, the way he responded to sin, the way he responded to people who were down and out and marginalized and on the periphery for whatever reason. And we go back to his life and we say this, the church is doing Jesus' ministry. And so he spent three, three and a half years here with the disciples, but then he left. He said, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to come to you through the Spirit. And so what the church is doing is we are continuing on the ministry of Jesus. So I think when we ask this question, who should we be? We should be following Jesus. We should be doing what he did. And what Jesus did is he went into villages and he changed people's lives. What did he do? He taught them the gospel. What did he do? He healed them. If people were struggling, if they didn't have enough food, if they were sick, he did what he could to help them. That was the ministry of Jesus, meeting people's needs, sharing the gospel with them, helping them recognize that they needed salvation. And then Jesus continued on his ministry. Especially Jesus became a servant. At the end of his life, just before Jesus was crucified on Friday, on Thursday evening, a text we, we come back to again and again because I think it's a pivotal one. On that Thursday night, night before he died, Jesus gathered the apostles in that upper room, ate that last meal, that last Passover meal with them, took the, took the wine, took the bread, had this meal with them. <clears throat> and then he went over to the door and he took off that outer robe and he put around his waist a servant's towel and he started washing the feet of the disciples. And he said, guys, when they didn't understand, they're like, no, this, this, can't, this can't happen. He's, you don't understand right now, but you're going to understand. What I'm doing for you, you do for other people. And this was the last, this is the last lesson that he taught them before the cross. It's almost like he wanted them to know when they're going to go out and they're going to establish churches. And he wanted them to know, look, here's what your church needs to be like. Here's what the church is going to be like. The church is going to be like 
It's going to be like that. It's going to be a church filled with people who take off the suit or the dress or the whatever, (coughs) put on overalls or put on the towel or put on the blue jeans and the t-shirt and sweatshirt, whatever. That's that's what a church is. That's what a church ought to be. A church that becomes self-centered and self kind of self-seeking and asking what do we need, what do we want, what can we get more of, how can we make ourselves more comfortable and and do more for ourselves and all that. (coughs) That's a church that's lost its focus. A church that has stopped asking what can we do, what can we change, what, what what can we be involved in as a church to serve the Hoover community like Jesus did. What can we do? That's a church that's in tune with the one who saved the church. So we share the gospel across the world, but we share it locally. We get out and we serve people. We invite people to come. We feed the hungry, as so many of you are involved in doing and helping with. But beyond that, we look for opportunities individually and corporately to follow Jesus to these communities and to these places. That's the kind of church we need to be. Love God more than anything in the world. But we cannot do that if it doesn't lead us to love people. You cannot love God if you don't love people. It's just impossible. If you don't love people, you don't love God. You don't, need, don't even say you love God if you don't love people. It's impossible. Love God and love people. How do we, how do, we do this? You know, how, do we, how do we get there? And this, we go back to our passage where we started. I wish there was some sort of magic pill or three-step process or 12-step process or something. You just follow this, jump through these hoops, do these things, and at the end of the day, this church will be perfect and it will be exactly what God wants it to be. It doesn't work that way, you know. At the same time, God, God's, in, God's in the transforming business. still is. He takes churches and He revitalizes them. He shapes them. He helps them. And I love this text that we're using today, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to Him who is able... Appreciate Joel's comments on this because there are superlatives in this text. Superlatives that don't come through as clearly in English as they do in the Greek. But you ought to read this. To him who is able to do far more abundantly. <coughs> like, he's able to do so much stuff. You can't even fathom it. Far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God wants to work in our church family. He's not done with us yet. I'm as excited about the future of this church as I've ever been. The spirit, the attitude, the love and compassion that fill the hearts of so many people in this building give me so much optimism about what God will do with us. It's not going to be because 
we put forth the right effort or start the right program or change the right thing. It's not, it's not about all that. There, certainly, there are things that ought to be changed, and there are programs I hope that we will start, and, and things that ways of doing things that we can change, and hopefully we will, <coughs> just because of this. Because God is still working. God is still working in this church, and God wants this church in 2018 to move closer and closer to where He wants us to be to reason he put us here and so because we've been here for more than 50 years it's all the more imperative that we step back periodically and say to the Lord I know we know that you're able to do far more abundantly than anything we can even fathom Lord so please Bless us beyond our wildest dreams. Do in us what you want to do in us. We don't even know. We don't even know. His, his ways are so much above our ways. We don't even know what he might do and where he might take us. Probably the only thing holding us back is we just don't believe it enough and we don't dream big enough. God is working in our church family to help us love him and love his people. And God will change the world through you and me, through this church. I hope that you'll pray about this and as we dismiss in a few minutes, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to hand out some stickers and I'd love for that to be, you know, I'd love for it to be whatever it can be for you, whatever, what, whatever you'll allow it to be. Put it in some prominent place. We've got plenty of them. Distribute them, put them on your vehicle or put them on your laptop or put them on your fridge, whatever it is. But just let, let this be something that it doesn't just go the way of most kinds of sermons, you know, where you think about it for three or four minutes and then you're done with it. Let this be something you pray about. Lord, today, uh, we know that you can do far more abundantly all that we ask or think, but today help us to love God and love, love you and love people and, and, and change the world through us, Lord. God's in the changing business and he works through his people. That's the way God does it. He, he does his work through churches. That's what he's doing. Let's submit to him and let him work. If you're not a Christian, we invite you to join in with what God is doing here, to submit to him as your Lord and Savior. Put him on in baptism. Uh, all your sins washed away. Called to be in fellowship with the creator of the world. Uh, blessed by him, the only one who's worthy of our praise and honor. He wants to call you to himself today. We invite you to make that decision. Maybe you need to come back to him and ask for prayers or encouragement from your church family. Uh, let's love him this year. Let's love his people this year. Let's, uh, let's let him change us and in so doing change our community. Let's stand and sing.